Hi, and welcome to another episode of Nexium on Trial, a Times Union podcast. I am Casey Seiler, the editor-in-chief of the Times Union. I'm Jessica Marshall, multimedia producer and producer of Nexium on Trial. I'm Robert Gavin, the Times Union's courts and cops reporter. And we have gathered on this Tuesday morning to talk about the third episode of the second season of HBO's The Vow a documentary series about the very strange organization known as Nexium and the downfall of Keith Raniere, the man known within the organization as Vanguard. Uh, the title of this episode, gang, is Stimulus and Response. And it focused, I think it's fair to say, on Nexium's work with individuals uh, living with Tourette syndrome. And for those not familiar with it, Tourette syndrome is a neurological condition that results in tics, outbursts of, of language. Rob, I, I think it's fair to say that the best known Nexium believer who dealt with Tourette's was Mark Elliott. Correct. Yeah, Mark Elliott, the uh, family comes from St. Louis, later moved to New York City. And Mark is currently one of the diehard supporters of Keith Raniere and Nexium. Mark was someone who had Tourette's syndrome, and he was dealing with it all his life. And he joined Nexium. And as he said in episode three of The Vow, he didn't join Nexium just to, you know, to help him overcome Tourette's. He joined it for whatever reason that anyone else joins it. It's a personal uh, growth company going in, right? So when he joins, the experience he has, and he later credits to Nexium and Keith Raniere and Nancy Salzman, is that he overcomes his Tourette's, and he later became, you know, the main subject of a movie they made within Nexium called My Tourette's, which became uh, a big boasting point for Nexium. You know, we can cure Tourette's syndrome. And hearing Mark's perspective on this is interesting when you hear, and I know from personally speaking to them, other people who were part of this sort of experiment to work on people who had this very serious condition. And there are people who were there and believed in it, who no longer do. And you saw Isabella, who is um, someone I got to know a little bit during the trial. You saw other people there. Uh, I'm not sure they all went public, but I know at least one of whom spoke at Nancy Salzman's sentencing, who feel traumatized by what happened in Nexium. And Mark Elliott really is a diehard. He really believes Nexium cured him of Tourette's. And right after the trial was over, he wanted to have a forum because he was an inspirational speaker. He wanted to have a forum immediately about what he believed was the wrongdoing of Keith Raniere being convicted. Uh, so he is a diehard. And what this episode really delves into is his belief in being cured, Nancy Salzman's discussions of it. And really they kind of balance Mark's experience against that of Isabella, who was at the trial every day. And I know that she was privy to information that a lot of other people didn't. She, she knew more about DOS, even though you know, she, she wasn't someone 
really in DOS, but she, she knew about it and was someone who knew people in DOS. In fact, at the trial, when they did closing statements and India Oxenberg showed up and Isabella gave each other a big hug, Isabella is someone who, who kind of saw through it, saw what the deception was going on. And in this episode, she even tells Mark, He's saying, oh, well, this is a, a sorority. They're, they're lying about things. And she's like, no, they were told this was going to be a tattoo, and then they were branded. And he says, well, that would be a crime. That would be assault. And Isabella is essentially saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. That's why I'm in no longer in Albany. I think that was one of the most disturbing moments of this episode for me. You know, watching that conversation that was recorded between Isabella and Mark Elliott on Skype or FaceTime or whatever they were using. This was, you know, allegedly recorded kind of during the same time that, um, you know, Mark and Sarah, Mark Vicente, I should say, and Sarah were kind of, you know, everybody was trying to take Nexium down. And, you know, you see Isabella talking to Mark, you know, kind of pouring her heart out to someone that she loved and trusted at the time, you know, because he helped her with Tourette's, which, you know, was kind of a miracle in her eyes. And then you hear Mark you know, trying to talk her out of leaving Nexium because it could bring back her Tourette's, which is just just a very alarming kind of the worst form of gaslighting that, you know, obviously Mark said it, not Keith Raniere, but you know kind of where it came from. It's just kind of a very disturbing moment. Not to get excessively literary here, but that exchange and at other points through this episode, I was reminded of uh, a Stephen King novel called Revival, which came out, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, and is a really good sort of late Stephen King novel and uh, a sort of H.P. Lovecraft spin on the, the tale of Faust, you know, in in which basically a, a kind of mad scientist figure uh, can cure people. But of course, uh, not to give it away, uh, it, it turns out that the after effects are um, unpleasant. In the character of Mark Elliott, or in the figure of Mark Elliott, but the way he is presented in The Vow, you have somebody who, uh, you know, according to him, has definitely benefited from the treatment that he received from Nancy Stallsman and sort of the the, the role that, that Keith Raniere played. He gives him, Elliott gives him a lot of credit, but at the same time, he has sort of swapped that condition for a, a condition, if you will, um, where Keith Raniere can can do no wrong. And his life has now been, it would appear, completely given over to defending what I think most people would argue is indefensible. And in the character of, of Isabella Constantino, who, who we should notice from Buffalo, you have somebody who who sort of has has resisted that kind of bargain. To follow up kind of on your point, for me, one of the most fascinating scenes was the discussions with Isabella's parents, um, yes. where her mother is is clearly outraged by what she has learned about what was going on within Nexium, especially Das, and her her dad seemed to to be able to compartmentalize what was going on and say, like, you know, hey, it really worked for. Her. And here again, and this is something that I think I brought up in our last few episodes, a big problem with this is that 
there is very little interrogation of the people who are being interviewed here, that it's told very first person. And so somebody could watch this episode and with the exception of just a couple of moments of kind of pushback, you know, the person could come away and say, well, it looks like Nexium really did have a great technique for, uh, for helping people beat Tourette's syndrome. Yeah. And th- that's why the, mo- the moments that stood out, and there were two, one, obviously, Moira Penza, the, federal pro- the lead federal prosecutor, saying, yeah, I don't, I don't believe any of that stuff. I think that the sort of conditioning techniques that Nancy Salzman used you know, they're, they're very powerful. And yeah, and in some cases, work for a small number of people, exactly, but it's not, it's not reproducible. And, and, <laughs> you know, there was this uh, uh, title card at the top saying, Oh, by the way, <laughs> you know, this hasn't been scientifically proven. I'm paraphrasing to, to cure Tourette's and, Blink and also, if you miss it, right? Yeah. Oh, completely. And, and also when they're interviewing Mark Elliott, you hear the, it's one of the rare times that you hear somebody asking a question where he says, so who's, who is Isabella? Or can you talk about Isabella or something to that effect? And Mark Elliott just immediately kind of shoves it away and says, well, you know, uh, you, you might want to talk to, talk to, to them about, it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak for them or something to that effect, but it was clear that he did not want to speak about Isabella at all. So when you look at when they show parts of Keith talking about how they got into this effort to get you know try to cure Tourette's and I'll channel my inner Star Wars dork here and there's this he says a line Keith Raniere says when conventional solutions don't work maybe the unconventional way of thinking does and it, it kind of brought me to the scene in Revenge of the Sith where like Emperor Palpatine is like, you know, the dark side of the forest is a pathway to many abilities some consider unnatural. And I'm like, that, that that's in a weird way kind of what he's offering, like the unconventional, you don't know what, you know, what it may bring. And, but, you know, we're not in a world of fiction and science fiction. These are real people and real people's lives. So Ooh. when you start experimenting with these things and saying unconventional Mark Elliott may calls Keith Raniere a scientist and a philosopher, but Keith Raniere really isn't a scientist and he's a self-proclaimed philosopher or self-dubbed philosopher. And, and these are absolutely real impacts that are happening on people. And I think that's why this brings out so many strong emotions. There was a woman from Wisconsin testified, I should say, gave a victim impact statement at Nancy Salzman's sentencing, said she was 21 and she spent a short period of time uh, in Axiom hoping to have her Tourette's syndrome cured in her early 20s and that Nancy Salzman had told her she had the condition because she was a quote-unquote parasite and a defiant. And when she uh, faced Nancy Salzman, she said, you use me as a guinea pig. And this woman still, as of uh, Nancy's sentencing last year, still had Tourette's uh, syndrome. So we're seeing one side of this. And that's Mark Elliott, who's a diehard Nexium supporter. And you saw, you saw Moira Penz's comment about 
cognitive behavioral change and there was something yeah, if I had done if I had done this if I were the producer of this you know up until now I've been kind of on board or at least more on board than I guess you guys with with kind of the first person telling because I thought that a lot of what they were saying was you know the the power of what they were saying could help you fill in the blanks but in this episode not so much if I had done this I would definitely have brought in some kind of an expert you know who is licensed and lauded in their field uh you know an expert on Tourette syndrome to come and really provide that counterpoint, that sort of scientific counterpoint, like what, like more than just what Moira Penza said, which obviously is something that they would have expanded upon, but you really needed somebody in the expert of the field here um, in this episode, because it just feels very, very dangerously one-sided. Jess, I'm going to, I would just note that I've never been on board with that technique. (laughs) So so now you're coming on board, me not being on board. I love it. Um, (laughs) Well, I didn't say I was completely on board, but I was, I was willing to, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt. Yes. I think, I think that's called gangplankism, but um, (laughs) not on board, but almost. Um, uh, One thing I'd like to note is anytime in a story about Nexium. I see somebody in a cranial cap um, as part of an experiment. It reminds me that one of the things that Nexium was uh, criticized and investigated for was the fact that it was doing a completely unregulated brain experiments uh, under one of its spinoffs, the Ethical Science Foundation at an emptied out former restaurant space. And was it in Clifton Park, Rob? It was, um, so this is the old restaurant that used to be, uh, I won't mention the current name of it because it has zero affiliation with Nexium now, but it was in Half Moon. The restaurant was owned by Claire Bronfman. It was called Apropos. And there was a, a former doctor named Brandon uh, Porter, who was a member of Nexium, And they experimented, they did uh, brain experiments in there. And uh, Brandon Porter lost his medical license for conducting these experiments. And, and, and basically, they were, they were bringing people in. They were, uh, you know, fitting them with monitors and showing them a horrible, basically, snuff films, right? Um, yeah. Scenes of, of folks being murdered, really traumatizing people. And I just found it strange that this entire episode was devoted to Nexium's, you know, quote unquote, scientific inquiries. But this episode, at least, didn't even take a second to refer to that stuff. And here again, the timeline is kind of scattered. The timeline of Isabella's experiences and when she fell away from Nexium, when she is back home dealing with her parents, I kind of wanted a better sense of, was this... 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, 2017, the fall of 2017, when Nexium was exposed and DOS was exposed, and that really began the fall. Keith Ranieri arrested in March of 2018, and then, of course, his trial begins in the spring of 2019. What we are getting is a lot of kind of toing and froing to before the fall, during the fall, and then the after the fall. And um, sometimes it can be very hard to follow and you are unclear of where people are on the timeline of falling away from Keith Raniere and Nexium. It is a little tough. Um, like I say, I, I can tell you 
from being at the trial, covering it there every day and speaking to Isabella, she was an observer at the trial. I would not have known there was any past history of Tourette's or any other issue from just uh, speaking to her. The way she's talking on the documentary is similar to the, I think the way she was when I spoke to her. My sense, and I could be wrong, is that it's early 2019 because she talked about going to the trial and the trial obviously was like started in May 2019. But I thought it was fascinating to see the difference in the families, like you mentioned. It's similar to the woman who was kept in the room for two years, also in Half Moon. Um, and that's, by the way, I know they say Albany, but the when they're showing... And there's sort of a dramatic moment where they show Isabella leaving in the middle of the night, putting her stuff in a van and just getting out of the capital region. That appears to be based on what I know to be the Knox Woods apartment complex and Half Moon, where so many Nexia members had lived. And I know that Isabella had lived with women who were in DOS. And I know that she was around, uh, obviously, a lot of those people. So she, she knew, knew information, Mark Elliott, uh, probably was not as privy to. But what I thought was interesting is it's similar to the situation of the woman kept in the room where the parents are divided. Like now, even now to this day, the father of the woman that Keith Raniere had restricted to a room for two years, he still supports Keith Raniere, still. So it is interesting that you have it shows you, I mean, how tough must it be to leave this organization when the father of someone, the guy who wasn't even in the class, as far as we know, he may never have taken a class. And he's like, well, you know, if that helped, it helped. You know, so it just shows you how difficult it is. And I think. And how easy it is to justify. Yeah. It certainly sets things up interestingly for the next episode, which uh, it would appear is going to be devoted to the testimony and the experience of Lauren Salzman, Nancy's uh, daughter, and one of, if not the most significant witness in the federal trial, but that will be for next week. One thing I would like to note, uh, I guess we can go around the horn and ask for kind of favorite details for this episode. Um, mine, and I'll get literary once again, is guys, if you see somebody with uh, a copy of Frank Herbert's Dune on a bookshelf next to a whole bunch of Ayn Rand novels, run. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I noticed the Ayn Rand, but I did not notice Dune. I'll have to go back and-, and Yeah, yeah the Dune, Dune is right next to the Ayn Rand. That is, you know- Nothing wrong with having maybe one Ayn Rand novel. Nothing wrong with having Dune, of course. Uh, read it when I was a teenager. Enjoyed it very much. But when you got those next to each other on the bookshelf, that's a troublesome combination there. I think my moment, to your point, Rob, that you made a little while ago about how they called Isabella's, you know, they, they you know, deemed it Albany where Isabella lived. Um, and then in the next scene, they're driving down the Northway and you see the exit for Albany Airport. And I'm like, you know, just this is something that only a local would know like us. But I'm like, isn't that the other side of the Northway? She is not coming from Albany. She's coming from the North. This is inaccurate factually. That's but again, <laughs> only something a local would notice. What I noticed, what I'm taking from this, this is a part, I, I don't know that people who haven't heard or listened to Keith Raniere a lot will necessarily catch on, but... 
when Isabella and Mark Elliott are having that conversation, I'm listening to Mark Elliott and I know it's Mark Elliott speaking and I know it's Mark Elliott's words, but I'm hearing Keith Raniere. When I, when I, when I hear the, the words Mark Elliott is saying to Isabella, it's like she's speaking to Keith. I mean, he sounds like Keith Raniere. He's using words Keith Raniere would use. And it's kind of chilling. It's just like, wow. I mean, it's the same techniques, the same. And again, for what it's worth, people I've talked to on both sides of, of, of Nexium, most people thought Mark was a very nice guy and that, you know, that they, they don't say a bad word about him. But the words he's using, what we saw there, that's very coercive uh, to say, oh, well, you could get your Tourette's back. I mean, it's very the calmness of the voice and the the tone. It was Raniere-esque. And I thought that was something that kind of stuck with me from this. And I think you'll see that more and more. People will channel Raniere and they 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 put him on a pedestal and he was the vanguard. And the, the Nexium, you know, the Nexium acolytes, the 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 faithful will insist, how dare you accuse me of being an empty vessel filled up with Keith Raniere stuffing? That's That says more about you than it says about me. So that is, that's the defense that, you know, we've already heard a couple of times from, you know, Nikki Klein and, and others. So, but anyway, that will be for the subject of a future podcast, no doubt. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening again to this episode of Nexium on Trial. Uh, I am Casey Seiler, Editor-in-Chief of the Times Union. I'm Jessica Marshall, multimedia producer and producer of Nexium on Trial. Rob Gavin, Cops and Courts reporter who covered the Nexium trial. Have a great week and please remember to vote and remember to support local journalism. If you're enjoying Nexium on Trial, be sure to check out its sister podcast, The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall, host of The Eagle. Each week, we'll take a look inside the newsroom at the Times Union, the capital region's oldest and largest newspaper. We'll discuss the week's top stories, and we'll talk to the award-winning reporters who write them. Listen at timesunion.com or wherever you get your podcasts.